This is the Ardella Training Podcast, episode number 51. Welcome to the Ardella Training Podcast, where we're dedicated to forging athletic bodies around the world. Ardella Training is the no BS authority in kettlebell and barbell training for today's athlete and fitness enthusiast. Each episode is insanely committed to delivering valuable tips and cutting edge information to help take your training to the next level. Get stronger, build muscle, and forge an athletic body with your host, who's been called the scientist of strength, Scott Ardella. Hey guys, what's happening? And thanks for joining me today for episode number 51 of the Ardella Training Podcast. I greatly appreciate you allowing me to be a part of your journey into strength, conditioning, fitness, and peak performance training. And this show is here to help you take it to the next level in your training and get better results. Now, if you haven't been to ardellatraining.com, be sure to check out the site for all the resources training information and education over there. That's R-D-E-L-L-A training.com. And be sure to like the Facebook fan page while you're there as I check in there every single day. Now, in this episode, you're going to hear a fantastic interview with strength coach, Olympic weightlifter, and just a super cool person, Diane Fu of FooBarbell.com. I really enjoyed this interview, and I think you will too. Now, what's awesome about this interview is that this information is great, even if you haven't gotten started in Olympic weightlifting yet. She'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Now, if you're already into Olympic weightlifting, you will learn some new things, hear her great insight, and also get to hear about her recent experiences with elite-level Russian weightlifters Klokov, Ilyan, and Polivnikov. And you're going to hear about some other really, really great tips and information and insight from Diane. Once again, if you like the show, please take a quick minute and share your review in iTunes or Stitcher. Guys, these reviews really help to keep the show going. So if you could take a minute and do that, that would really be fantastic. All right, let me tell you more about Diane before we get started. In 2006, Diane met the co-founder of San Francisco CrossFit, Dr. Kelly Sturette. Now, just as a reminder, I interviewed Kelly on this show for episode number 25. So if you haven't heard that, go back and check it out. That's a great interview. Diane would later join Kelly and his team at San Francisco CrossFit in 2008. And it was around that time that Diane discovered the sport of Olympic style weightlifting. Now, she started actively competing on a local level, which eventually led to being on the big stage at the national level. Diane now continues her work as a strength and conditioning coach at San Francisco CrossFit and is also the head coach at Foo Barbell, home of the Foo Barbell Club. Now, again, this is a really valuable interview with great actionable advice at the end of the show. So be sure to listen through all the way and hear what Diane tells us we need to take action with after listening to the interview. That's the whole key. I mean, all these interviews, it's all great information, but what do you do with all the information at the end? Diane is going to tell us exactly what you can do to take your training to the next level or to get started the right way in Olympic weightlifting. She really has some great tips here, so check it out. All right, let's get into this interview with Diane Fu.
All right, guys, get ready because I'm very honored today to have Olympic weightlifter and strength coach Diane Fu join me for what will be a fantastic interview. So, Diane, thanks for being here. And I know I'm really excited to hear your perspective on Olympic weightlifting. Thank you for having me today, Scott. I'm very excited to be here as well. The pleasure is all mine. And we are going to jump right into this. So the first question is, Diane, how, how did you get your start in Olympic weightlifting? Well, I feel like my start is, you know, pretty typical of most athletes that we find today coming into the sport as an adult. Um, I actually discovered it through the sport of CrossFit, where when you first come into CrossFit, you suddenly realize you have to be a powerlifting, Olympic lifting, sprinter, rowing gymnast. And uh, for about the first year, year and a half, you end up being very saturated uh, trying to learn all these new skill sets. But then, you know, after about that year and a half, two years for some people, sooner these days, because I feel the learning curve is so much uh, faster, yeah. uh, you start seeking out specialists. You realize if I want to get better at this particular sport of fitness, um, I have to start specializing in these different avenues. And that's how I came across Olympic lifting um, as a sport itself. Excellent. So how much of Olympic weightlifting do you do in your own training? I mean, is it the majority of your training focus? Yeah, absolutely. So um, back when I started this, uh, I probably came into Olympic lifting about 2007, 2008. Okay. And, um, you know, I went in with the sole intention of I'm going to just develop my skill set and I'm going to go back to CrossFit and I'm going to become this amazing CrossFitter and win the CrossFit Games. Yeah. And you know, what happened really quickly after that is I realized, you know, this idea of barbell training, barbell manipulation was really attractive and it offered all the intricacies of, uh, of learning, of skill development, of strength, of, you know, I can turn it into, you know, cardio respiratory training if I wanted to. It, it had all the similar elements of CrossFit and it had a certain appeal or allure to me that I ended up just sticking with the sport full time. So my training is a hundred percent, um, CrossFit or I'm sorry, hundred percent weightlifting with, you know, every now and then I'll engage myself in a CrossFit like conditioning workout. Excellent. Excellent. So you kind of talked about that, how your training is, has evolved. What would you say is the number one thing that has really made your training successful and kind of got you to the level you're at today? Is it just the, the focus and the specialization that you mentioned? Yes, focus specialization definitely helps add up the volume over time because when it comes to weightlifting, more like learning how to play the violin or learning how to play the piano than I do an actual strength sport. And so with anything that de develops such a high skill requirement or a high requirement of motor control, it's really about putting in the time, putting in the practice, getting the volume and getting the repetitions under your belt. So I attribute that a lot of my success today in just you know, dedicating the time. Now, I will also say that I don't believe that, you know, people can't get to this level uh, without specializing full time, meaning, you know, they can engage in other activities and make Olympic weightlifting, um, you know, uh, kind of a, a secondary activity. It will just take, it will take them longer. Now, unless they are genetically more talented, they yeah. can speed up that learning curve really quickly as well. Right. What about for the average person that, that actually wants to be good at Olympic weightlifting? What do you think the, the learning curve is? You talked about a little bit about your learning curve, but what do you think it is for most that want to, you know, take the O lifts more seriously? 
Well, depends on what kind of what level of proficiency uh, are we talking about, and what's the standard. Are they trying to compete on a national level? Are yeah. they just trying to, you know, compete on a local level? Um, what level of proficiency are we are we asking about? Yeah. Well, let's let's say uh, someone competing at a local level that you know that they, they want to get into it and they want to get started. So you know, locally is the probably the, the best place to go. So for that local level competitor that's, that's ready to get into that. What do you think? You know, I, I know of a number of coaches that would say they can compete and they like getting their athletes onto the competition platform pretty much right away. So this athlete could be six weeks new and the coach will be like, okay, here we go. We got to start getting that competition experience, you know, not for the sake of competition, but at least to start getting them familiar with the paces. So that could be idiot step. Now, if we're talking about, you know, snatch and clean and jerk proficiency from like a movement technical aspect, you know, again, that depends on the athlete. But I usually see about six months to start getting the wheels and having a good flow with the barbell, six to 12 months to start turning off some of the switches so the movement becomes more automated. And it's between that one to two year mark that you know, beginners start becoming more beginner intermediate. And then you enter that intermediate phase, which then takes, you know, a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is it takes a long time (laughs) and it takes the right coaching. Yeah. Right. Right. It takes a lifetime. In fact, I don't think I've, I've talked to a number of athletes of, you know, all various levels and we're talking about beginners to intermediate, intermediate advanced. And then of course the elite and no one feels like they've made it yet. They're not there. You know, everyone's still striving for something more. Right. Diane, let's talk a little bit about the Foo Barbell brand. Uh, You have an excellent uh, website there. And I wonder if you could just talk about that and kind of the mission and vision of Foo Barbell. Well, Foo Barbell kind of came about as a concept maybe about a year and a year and a half ago. And the common theme or message that seems to be spread across the communities is if you want to become a proficient at weightlifting, you need to become a weightlifter, right? Right. And that was the message that was delivered to me when I first started and I believed in it and I stepped, I crossed the line, I stepped over and I haven't looked back and I've thoroughly enjoyed my journey. So it's not a bad move, but you know, a lot of the community that I work with, that I service, you know, they don't necessarily want to become weightlifters. They aren't interested in you know, becoming a specialist or a purist in that aspect. A lot of them, what they want to do is they want to understand and gain the knowledge and the tools necessary to become better at weightlifting so they can take this activity and apply it to other sports, right? Or they may just want to weightlift on a very recreational level. And so Food Barbell came about because, you know, I do not believe that somebody has to become a weightlifter in order to gain for the proficiency, to gain enjoyment for this activity. And the idea with Food Barbell was to start spreading a message and, you know, spreading a message of this is the this is the information that I have. This is how I did it. Here are the tools that you know, or make the tools readily available so that you can apply it inside your training program, inside your life, how you see fit. And as long as you follow, you know, these steps or this advice or what it, what it is I'm putting out there and practice and stay consistent with your practice, you will see improvement over time. Yes. And, you know, I was going to ask you this later, but uh, you have a really good um, giveaway over there at Foo Barbell, and that's the uh, push press chart. 
and kind of the progressions of the uh, snatch and clean and jerk. And uh, you, you right. want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, it was a cool little collaboration that I did with the boys down at Push Press, this company that's based out of L.A. And we wanted to create a, a movement or a progressions poster that was really simple, that wasn't being done yet in the community. We see a lot of posters of technical breakdowns or analyzing different, you know, styles of lifters at their 85%, or we see progression posters, you know, breaking down, you know, every single detail of the snatch, every single detail of the clean, every single detail of the jerk. But we haven't seen anything that broke down broke it down another level to the point where somebody new coming into the gym, they don't even know the difference between a, a clean, a power clean, a hang power clean, you know, and, and where the divide starts, where it finishes. So we wanted to create something that was a level even, you know, a, like a regression of all the posters out there and simplify it down and be able to be informative without overly consuming. And that seems to be the way I like to operate is to inform, but not overly consume. And we wanted to also make it fresh and colorful and fun. And and most importantly, we wanted to give it away for free. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. I mean, a quick plug here for that. I mean, it's a, I've shared it before on social media platforms. I'll have a link for it in the show notes of, of this episode. It's very useful. It's very simple. And the visual, um, you know, components of the breakdown of the snatch and clean and jerk are, are very valuable. I have it laminated and I use it. I, you know, if I feel like I'm struggling, I'll just look at it and it kind of tips my brain a little bit about, you know, a hip um, a power position or whatever it is that I'm trying to clean up during a session. So it's a great, great free tool that you have there. So thank you for providing thank that you. for us. Yeah. You know, with the poster, what we're really hoping to do is to provide people with a teaching tool or a resource to be able to access and use. And, you know, that also goes along with the Food Barbell Mission, which is just to provide information and to be a resource and provide the tools without being very dogmatic. Yes. Diane, um, I wanted to ask you, who have been your, or who are your coaches um, that are mentors to you, the athletes that are um, that you admire and, and why? All right. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I am not going to say anybody immediately off in the weightlifting world because a lot of my influences, my mentors, my uh, coaches that I respect and admire are the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis. And uh, that happens to be Kelly Starrett. Um, that happens to be my very good friend, Carl Pally, Nate Helming, uh, Rup Ciota. These are these are guys that are not in of the weightlifting world, but people that I have very interesting conversations with on a very daily basis about movement, about biomechanics, about physiology, about life. Um, and the conversations that I have with these athletes or with these coaches every single day is what spurs the, the thinking behind Foo Barbell. And then if we were to take that a step further into coaching influences that I've had throughout my career, Jim Schmitz out of the Sports Palace was my very first coach. I spent a great deal amount of time with him. He was the one that developed me from, you know, being another average individual into, you know, a national competitor in about a year and a half, two years worth of time. Um, Coach Mike Bergner, because he is the CrossFit SME 
Um, and I've also spent uh, a little bit of time with Greg Everett down at Catalyst Athletics. And from there, you know, I try to, you know, put myself uh, kind of under, I guess, the, the learning of any coach that's been around the block, trying to listen to what they say, listen to how they teach, listen to what it is their philosophy. And um, so it could be, I mean, people that I've hung out with would be like Ursula, forgive me, I cannot pronounce her last name, but she's weightlifting wise down in Texas. I've hung out with Don McCauley. I've certainly listened to Glenn Penlay speak. So all those are coaches that I've, I've listened to and I've internalized their information. They've all had a little bit of uh, influence in the way I kind of dictate information. Yeah. I wonder if you could just talk about maybe the, the difference in coaching philosophy in general. In the, the big picture, so the, I guess what I'm asking here is, is there a big discrepancy in some of the higher level coaches and maybe the tech, technical aspects of what they teach? Um, is there a discrepancy? You know, I would like to say there are differences in which they approach the movement and approach the information, but at the end of the day, they're all trying to describe and get the athlete to do a very certain thing that looks very similar. If we were to take an athlete uh, that is not of any of these coaches, let's say it's some international level lifter at the Olympics, and we were to show them all a video or a footage of what it is this athlete's lift looks like, I believe that all of those coaches will have a different breakdown of what this athlete is doing. And that reflects in the way in which they, um, in which they deliver their information. And so on that level to people trying to gather information from all these different resources, it might sound like something different, but at the end of the day, they're trying to get this athlete to pull a barbell from the floor, sweep it in or keep it as close to the body as possible, right? Have it drive straight up after it leaves the hips and then pull themselves under. And the way in which they get athletes to do it will have some technical variances, but the result that they're trying to produce is all the same. Right. What do you see as the, the future of Olympic weightlifting? So I, I think that it's certainly gaining a lot of popularity with CrossFit. And, but I'm curious, what do you think as far as the specific sport, maybe in the next five to 10 years? How do you see that evolving? I think it'll take a really long for the sport to become, you know, to become a regular line item in our society in our community. It's just, it's still too underground. It's still too unknown. Um, We still need a large amount of youth coming in to fuel the funnel versus all the adults that are in the sport right now. So it's going to be the kids of these adults currently in the sport. So in the next five years, I feel it, I feel Olympic style weightlifting will gain momentum in terms of recognition. I feel because of the influence of CrossFit, we will continue to see an increase in the number of athletes registered to compete under the USAW. But for us to really make a point on a larger platform, I see that being a little bit of a longer journey. Right, right. 
But I, I think you did mention the key word, and that is momentum. So it sounds like things are definitely headed in the right direction, which is great. We are definitely headed in the right direction, and I would love to see the sport continue to grow. Um, I do believe that, you know, there are still, you know, if we're going to branch off into talking about what, what I feel the sport needs in terms for this momentum to keep growing, is I do feel that clubs need to start being established in our K through 12 schools and that kids need to have the ability to be able to join Olympic lifting as a club, as an elective, as part of their programming yeah. versus, you know, trying to figure out where these clubs are located and then seeing if your kid can get there and match up the schedule. Right. So I think some, something structurally fundamentally has to change, but yeah, I feel like we're definitely moving in the right direction. Excellent. All right. Now you recently had the, uh, I'm sure the wonderful opportunity and experience to work with, uh, Klokov, Ilyan Polivnikov. And I wonder if you can share your experience about working with those athletes. Uh, first off those, those men, they're amazing men. And the one thing that I will say is when they were here doing their seminar, I had the opportunity to hang out with them twice. Once was down in Hawaii when Klokov and Polovnikov did their very first seminar together. And then I had another opportunity to hang out with them at a kind of a coach's coaching clinic where then Ilya came in and joined the group. So, you know, it's two separate occasions I got to hang out, listen to their information. One, I had a little more hands-on experience in practicing this, the techniques in which they were teaching. And one was just more kind of sit back and listen to kind of what their collective philosophies were. So both of those very awesome. wonderful experiences, very fun to participate and be a part of. Um, and those boys are out genuinely trying to do an amazing job, you know, teaching their their philosophy of you know barbell movement to the world. You know, every both both seminars, both clinics, they were out there giving 150 percent. And you know, the seminar would only be scheduled to be four or five hours long, but it would easily turn into six, seven, eight hours just because they had that much to give. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard and read nothing but positive things about those seminars. And I was massively disappointed because I had signed up to attend one down in South Florida. They were here for two days and one of the days they had to cancel. And that was the only day that I could go. So I, oh, no. I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very disappointing. But um, so I guess in general, what would you say, what were the, the key learnings? I mean, was it a very, uh, very different technique than what you were used to? And I'm sure there were some, some real pearls that you took away from it. Uh, I just wonder if you could maybe kind of top line um, your key learnings out of that experience. Sure. And, you know, this is where I might make some of our coaches here in the U.S. a little upset with me. But, um, you know, they are teaching a very, you know, different style of bar path. And I can explain that a little bit further. But, you know, their thinking or their intention in which they move the bars, they're trying to keep that bar moving in as straight of a line as possible. Right. So that bar yes. from the floor goes straight up to the hips after the second pull, stay straight, and then loops either into the shoulders or into the overhead rack. Um, and the way in which they do this is they, you know, position that barbell a little bit more middle and forefoot, and they keep it there. They keep that weight pretty much center forefoot of the body. Um, and then, you know, like what we do is we then navigate our body around the barbell to make this bar path occur. Uh, so that's the first thing that was really different. I was like, huh, we've always been teaching the sweep or the S curve or bringing the barbell into the system and then creating this, you know, still very 
skinny or linear, if you want to call it S-curve, but we, it's still an S-curve nonetheless. Right. Um, so that was one big thing that I thought was really interesting and an idea that I've been personally trying to toy around with since I've attended their seminar. I can't speak to too much beyond that because my personal experiences is limited to the last, you know, two, two and a half months I've been practicing this. Yeah. Um, but you know, certainly it is different and I can give you, you know, I can give you my thoughts of my personal experience and toying around this technique and the things that I found that are interesting. And we could certainly speak more about that. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that I found was, is, you know, here in the U.S., I've listened to many coaches talk about, we're all, we all understand loose arms, loose arms, right? We want the arms relaxed. We want them to act like ropes. We want, um, our legs to do the driving. We want our trunk to do the transmitting. And then the arms come in to pull or assist and aid the athlete underneath the bar. So that's kind of pretty common, a common song that we sing in the USA. Now with the Russians, what they actually want you to do is they want you to continue lifting the bar with the shoulders and the arms. Now that's not to say, I don't believe they want a complete extension and then the arms continue just to keep pulling the bar over through, but they do want a little longer of a second pull. And their reasoning behind this is that they are taller than their average counterparts. Um, and they have more distance that they need to cover. And so the only way they can get that bar a little bit higher is if they get the shoulders and arms involved a little bit longer and then still be as quick as the Dickens underneath that barbell. Okay. So, I guess with your own, going back to your own tra training approach, I guess is there one big thing that you have changed since your experience with them? Yes. It, um, I have been toying around with their technique. So this is typically what I will do. Anytime I, you know, head out and I listen to a respected coach within our community teach their philosophy and teach their style of movement, in order to fully understand it and not just speak about it from a theoretical aspect, I try to actually internalize their technique and apply it. So, you know, and with any coach that I've done, I've gone, great, this is their philosophy, this is their teaching, these are their progressions, let me try it out. And then I can speak about it uh, on a deeper level. And so what I've done with this Russian technique, let's call it, or European technique, is I've been playing around with a much straighter uh, bar pull, and I've had some very interesting uh, experiences with it. And they're still new, so I can only pretty much speak based on what I've felt over the last two and a half months. Okay. Well, I guess, has it been a positive thing for you? Or is it yeah, still? In, in yeah. fact, you know, here's, here's what I felt kind of keeping that bar a little straighter and uh, keeping that weight a little bit more forefoot is what's extremely interesting is that I, the bar path still sweeps in. In fact, you know, because the body is all about balance, counterbalance, when you have the weight a little bit more forefoot, the body naturally wants to pull back into the heels a little more to maintain that sense of balance. So the struggle with actually keeping the bar a little further out front, let's call it, is that you actually end up sweeping back more, which let's, you know, for all intent and purposes, the Russians would consider that a fault, right? right. But then the bar path that actually produces is this really nice, beautiful S-curve that we teach here in the United States. 
um, by actively trying to keep that bar front uh, out front a little more. Whereas, you know, the the uh, the experience for me opposite is like when we try to teach athletes to pull back into the heels or drive back a little bit further by sweeping that bar in, athletes end up, you know, pulling back into the heels hard. But in order to produce that counterbalance, we actually see the weight you know, uh, we, we actually see more of a tendency of that weight to shift back out. And that's when the athletes are, end up getting pulled out front into their toes. And that's when they end up popping the bar out or jumping forward. So it was really interesting that I thought by pulling the bar out and keeping it out front, it would pull me forward. I actually have to resist pulling back too much against that bar. And it happens naturally without me thinking. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing your experience. I think that's uh, some very valuable insight there. Let's uh, shift uh, to a different topic. Let's talk about training mistakes. So I wonder if you could share, what do you think are the most common training mistakes that you see with beginners and how, how can beginners avoid making these mistakes? Um, the most common mistakes I see with beginners uh, are related to more body awareness and body control. Um, a lot of them just don't have enough repetitions or volume under their belt yet to know how to correctly initiate the sequence of movement. So what they're going to do off the floor is they'll start tugging a little early with their arms, lifting a little soon with their backs, and then engaging later with their legs when the movement sequence should be opposite. They should drive through the floor with their legs, preserve the energy of their back, and then finally finish with the energy in their arms. And so movement sequencing, body awareness is, you know, the the big thing that I notice. How to correct this? Volume and repetition. Spending, you know, an an extraordinary amount of time with the PVC pipe, just learning different positions, being hold those positions, learning how to connect those dots with very light load until it becomes automated and, um, you know, their, their line of thinking is, you know, therefore removed One of the big things that I try to get my athletes to do early on is once I teach them position and once I teach them how to connect those positions through movement, what I'm really looking for is to let them find a flow. And this flow is, you know, once they have a good flow going and I can see that, that's when I know that they've started to internalize, they've started to automate, and we can start moving on to the next piece of the progression, which is either, um, you know, continuing uh, the learning of the pull or, you know, progressively increasing the weight. Okay. Diane, you mentioned uh, body awareness. I'm just curious that um, how much success do you have with um, applications like a coach's eye or just filming a student so they can see maybe uh, technical mistakes they're making? How much of a a role is that in improving beginner's technique with a body awareness? Um, I'll do some video. I d- for my beginners, I actually don't do a ton of coach's eye or you know use any applications with a true true beginner. Yeah. Um, I try to develop their feel through my my coaching eye being on top of them. Sure. Now, with that said, for somebody who's maybe a little more you know beginner intermediate or my intermediate level of lifters, we'll do more coach's eye, especially because you know they ch- chances are they haven't quite developed the feel of what's going on within their pull yet. Right. And they are moving well enough that it does require a little more of a trained eye to pick out what's going on. So in those instances, we'll pull out you know the video applications, take a video, and then do a formal 
breakdown. But in the beginning, I actually don't do that a ton with my super beginners. Okay. I was just curious about that. Now, what about training mistakes for more intermediate to advanced? I mean, is there, is there maybe a, a big uh, thing that you see more with some, someone that has more experience? And what's the biggest challenge in correcting? I would say the biggest thing that I see with the more intermediate level lifters, you know, because when I think of Vance, I'm thinking like athletes like Klokov, like yeah, Kentra yeah. Ferris. We're thinking of those levels, right? Yeah. So let's, and, call, it, let's call it intermediate. <laughs> so if we're, if we're talking about beginner intermediate, a little more intermediate moving into advanced, I, I really think it's holding that first pole position. It is extremely hard to maintain that line of the first pull to get into a really good second pull position. Yeah. And that, again, ties back to either awareness or it could be a positional strength issue um, or it could be, you know, a combination or maybe even some body control. So, you know, it's hard to tell because it varies by athlete. But definitely that first pull to that second pull transition is extremely hard. And the way that I tend to help athletes with that is just there needs to be a lot more pulling in the programming. There needs to be a lot more pulling, a lot more, you know, deficit pulling. There needs to be more deadlifting and it needs to be a, a significant amount of volume and it needs to be at a significant amount of intensity to really be able to drill the motor control into these athletes. Right. And I feel like for our average athlete that is not a weightlifter, what's missing significantly out of their programming is they'll squat a ton until their faces turn blue, but they don't do actually a lot of pulling from the floor. All right, Diane, what do you recommend? I hear this one a lot that, you know, people don't have a, a local or they, they can't find a properly qualified coach in their area. Uh, what do you recommend for those people? I'm sorry, Scott, you just cut out a little bit there. Oh, no problem. Um, so the question was, what do you recommend for people that don't have a local properly qualified coach to teach them? Let's say they live in a real suburban area and they want to learn Olympic weightlifting, but they don't have a coach near yeah, where they live. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to be in an area, uh, California, the Bay Area especially, uh, with a lot of very qualified coaches. So I can't imagine starting my career and having to do everything by myself. It would have been quite a journey. Yeah. Um, here's what I would recommend. Uh, turn it into an opportunity to learn as much as you can. I find resources now that are available just free on the inter internet. Uh, the amount of books being written by different coaches. Um, get your hands on as much of it as possible. Digest it, try it, internalize it, keep what works, discard what doesn't. Yeah. Right. So that's step number one. And in a way, if you want to look at it, it almost puts you at an advantage because you have to learn how to become more self-sufficient. You have to learn, you know, what, what good movement looks like and what not good movement looks like. Like you don't end up depending on somebody else for all this information. Um, when, then what I would do is I would seek a coach that you respect, that you follow, that connects with you with their philosophy and their information, and reach out and see if they have some sort of remote coaching option available. Right. Right. And right. if you can get a coach to at least look at your movements once a week, once every other week, and get some you know technical feedback based on your lifts, you know that again will help push you along the learning curve. Comma get yourself to a seminar. Yeah. You know, there's so many clinics and seminars and workshops being done across the United States by every coach that's known or respected or, 
you know, uh, you know, have a club going in the U.S., you can easily get yourself, you know, with a short little plane ride to the next state over or next city over and attend the seminar and, again, get some hands-on experience. And then finally is, you know, make a pilgrimage. Like, again, wh- whichever coach you end up bonding or identifying with, see if it's possible for you to take a week and go spend a week with them, with their club, you know, getting some privates, hanging out with their club, making a little vacation of it. We have athletes that do that all the time that come out to Foo Barbell. And they'll just, because it's easy, we're in San Francisco, it ends up doubling as, hey, let's go train with Diane Foo at Foo Barbell, spend some time with her. And, oh, my God, hey, look, there's the, there's the Golden Gate Bridge. Let's go vacation as well. Awesome. Yeah, that is great, great advice. I wonder if you have, um, let's go, I'm actually going to ask you a few follow-up questions here, but let's start with the, um, the material, the books. Is there maybe a book or a couple of books that you recommend? Um, so I recommend this in my seminars. Uh, Artie Dreschler, he wrote the Encyclopedia weightlifting. It is a fantastic reference book. Um, I don't believe it's something unless you're the special 1% that can read it from page one to the very last page. But in terms of getting the science of the movement and basically everything that you need to know about weightlifting, you can find it in that book. Excellent. Uh, That's one book I would recommend. And then, you know, other coaches like Greg Everett has a great weightlifting book out there as well. Um, and anybody else off the horizon, Don McCauley has a good book out there. And picking up those three books will also offer the reader some different perspectives into weightlifting and movement. Excellent. Great resources. Uh, what about online coaching, Diane? That's something you offer as well. I do. Absolutely. Um, you know, so the way online coaching, remote coaching works is, uh, I work with athletes that are either uh, are interested in either pure weightlifting or I work with athletes that are interested in weightlifting combined with some general fitness or CrossFit. And I will either recommend supplemental programming on top of their current general programming, if that's what, what it is that they need, or I'll do, you know, actual weightlifting program for them if that, if that is what they need. So it just depends on the athlete and what it, what it is their goals are. And we do video review on a weekly basis, you know, and I do tell them that if there's a weightlifting coach that's local to them, that's usually a more ideal situation because you get a more consistent contact. But like we talked about earlier, that's not always possible. Right, right. So have you seen um, some people that have gotten online coaching where they they make progressions week to week with video analysis? Yeah, absolutely. All my athletes see, you know, you know, very modest gains on a very regular basis. And, you know, I'm not going to say like, hey, it's because of me, I'm the greatest coach. It's really because I'm offering them a plan and there's a strategy and it's periodized and it's smart. And I'm forcing them to get the repetitions in on a very consistent basis. And that happens to the volume of practice that's going to make and force those improvements. Comma, because I have a trained eye because I stare at these movements, because I know the different shapes I want these athletes to get into. It's easy for me to give them feedback and be like, look, this is what I need you to do at this point in the lift. You see the video you just showed me how you look like this. I need you to look like this, make that happen. And if they can apply that and make it happen, right. they were invariably. All right. And the other thing I, that you mentioned in there, you know, all these great resources to, uh, to get better, to get started. Um, was seminars and workshops, and you have a couple of different uh, 
workshops that you do yourself. So can you tell us about the, the things that you offer there? Right. So I offer a basic one, I believe. I just kind of gave it names. <laughs> so I believe my, my basic one, my fundamentals one, is my Olympic lifting rules. Yeah. And uh, it's just weightlifting 101. I cover some basic theory on weightlifting. I try to do a little sell on why I feel weightlifting should be prioritized in terms of practice and movement and given in a person's weekly schedule because yeah. oftentimes the the question I'll get is hey Diane look I feel like I should be able to snatch this amount of weight whatever that number is in the person's head and I'll be like oh that's great I feel like you should be able to snatch that amount of weight too and I'll be like well you know tell me how often do you practice and I'll find that the amount of practice or the level of practice these athletes getting is very infrequent. Maybe they'll see an Olympic lift every week, but it, they might not see the snatch but once every three weeks. And it may not even be the full lift. It might be just a partial iteration. And if they're involved in a program like CrossFit or some general strength and conditioning program, yeah. it might not even be for any type of intensity. It might be for touch and go for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 at a time. And that level of practice isn't quality enough to allow them to become finer technicians. So, you know, my basics, in my basic, my Olympic lifting rules one, I try to do a little theory talk. I try to do a little sell on why Olympic lifting should be a little more prioritized in a person's weekly regiment. And then from there, I go through, you know, basic weightlifting theory. Uh, I talk about bar path. I talk about the different types of bar path that we see. I go through very basic common faults that happen and why we don't want these things to happen. And I take them through, you know, my progression for learning the snatch and clean and jerk. And then we finish off with some programming considerations, um, mainly for the general athlete, yes. right, the recreational athlete. Um, and then we finished with a little Q&A. So it's, you know, it makes up a very nice kind of packaged um, eight, nine hour day. Excellent. And then for my level up one, I assume my athletes attending the more, you know, intermediate advanced course, let's call it, has all this basis of information. They, they know how to lift already. And whatever style of movement that they're coming in with, they at least have a flow and they've developed a certain level of proficiency. And so then what this course covers is we again go through a little bit of theory and we go through a little bit of, you know, terminology to make sure we're all speaking the same language on the same page. But then from there, we move a lot more into error identifying. Uh, identification and correction and how to help these athletes or these athlete coaches come in and solve different problems that they see happening either in themselves or in the people that they're coaching. And I have to tell you, that was a, again, kind of a disappointment for me because I know that you were down here in South Florida last fall yes. and I had that one on my radar to uh, go to your workshop. You were actually right next door to where I live. You were in Coral Springs, Florida, uh -huh. and I was not able to go that weekend. Again, I just had a, a conflict again. So I, oh, no. I hope uh, to catch you the next time you're in Florida. I don't see anything on Florida on your website, but I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you'll be back here at some I, point I do have a couple boxes knocking on my door for Florida. So, nice. so stay tuned on that. It could happen <laughs> at the end of the year. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll uh, keep my eyes open for that. So your website is foobarbell.com. Is there anything else that you want to mention as far as your website goes, any uh, social media? Foobarbell.com, you know, keep your eyes on it. If you, you know, like to follow the information, we are 
putting the website in high gear. So we are really looking to, you know, make it more of a resource for people to be able to access information about Olympic weightlifting, specifically um, movement or we're creating currently creating a movement library so people can easily look up different uh, moves and have you know, points of performance, uh, different angles, slow-mo. So we really want to put the tools out there so people have something to be able to reference easily. Um, if you, you know, like to kind of keep up with my day-to-day, Foo Barbell on Facebook, you can also find. And also you can find and follow me where I am very active on a daily basis with my posts, um, Diane Foo on Instagram. Great resources. Go check out Diane Fu at Fu Barbell. Final question is, Diane, a listener that's listened all the way through now to this point, what action or advice do you have for someone after listening to this interview? What do they need to do? All right. Um, great question. And I would say if this athlete that's listening is, is stoked and they're excited, they need to ride that momentum and take it through. Pick one thing that I've said in this seminar that you can do to immediately improve yourself and take action on that point. Whether it's go right now, sign up for a seminar, go buy a book on Amazon, um, you know, go seek out a coach that you've been thinking about but haven't done that yet. Find something that inspires you during this interview and take action on that point. Love it. That's fantastic. Great advice. Take action. Diane Fu, thank you so much. This has been awesome, and I hope to meet you uh, in the future down here in South Florida. Thank you, Scott. All right, take care. Well, a big thanks to Diane Fu for sharing her advice and knowledge in this interview. I hope you learned a lot, and please do what Diane said at the end, which is to find one thing from the interview and take action with it, whether that's getting a book, finding a coach, or signing up for a seminar. Personally, I already took away two big actions from the interview, and I hope you do the same. Definitely check out Diane's site, foobarbell.com. It's a great resource, and I'll attach links for the things that we discussed in this interview in the show notes for episode number 51 of ardellatraining.com. Again, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Train strong. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week with another great guest that I'm really excited to share with you, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ardellatraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.